Welcome to the Church Solutions Podcast, brought to you by JSL Solutions. The Church Solutions Podcast is designed to help equip you and your church in the use of technology and other tools and services. And now, here are your hosts, Steve Lacey and Phil Thompson. And welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Church Solutions Podcast. My name is Phil Thompson. I'm with Steve, Steve Lacey here. Uh, Steve, why do we do this podcast? We do this podcast to uh, help and equip uh, churches and ministries to be more effective. See, I tried to throw you off. You did. You changed the whole setup. Every For all the years we've been doing this, I usually just ask you to say who you are. And I thought I would get you to stumble, but you didn't stumble. You did very well. All Nicely right. done. So uh, as Steve said, we, we really want to help churches and ministries. We're a tech company. We provide streaming video. We provide mobile apps. We provide content management stuff, among other things. And uh, we both work in our churches and have been for so many years. And so we love helping churches, and we hope this podcast will help you. And so uh, we have a guest today on uh, on the line here who is uh, an expert when it comes to uh, helping churches with audio and video. In fact, uh, uh, what's our guest name today, Steve? Jim Komorek. Jim Komorek, see? <laughs> See, I got the name See, right that time. Hi, you Jim. You did. That's because you had me say it first. How's it going, guys? <laughs> Jim, it's good to it's good to be with you. Uh, thanks for spending some time with us. And you you go all the way from the East Coast, don't you? Yes, I'm over in the Raleigh, North Carolina area. All right, sounds good. So Jim is with Spreading Flames Media, and that sounds mm-hmm. like a really hot. Hot, hot job, uh, uh, and <laughs> yeah, and uh, and you guys work with uh, you guys work with a lot of different people and different companies. You also work with churches, uh, theatrical organizations. You work with uh, in the area of professional audio and video and lighting, all that good stuff. Uh, that's qu- that's quite a uh, that's quite a, a forte there. You you have a lot of different people you work with. Yeah, we do. Um, I do a lot of different things. Um, probably the biggest part of my business right now is doing video production work. Uh, but I also do a lot of writing for Church Production Magazine. I was actually their managing editor for about five years. Okay. Uh, starting around 2004, I was a church technical director for two years at a large church in Peoria, Illinois. And I've been a software engineer for 20 years. Wow. So. Wow. Kind of a, a mixed bag there. Quite impressive. I, I, I uh, see. I, for those of you listening, I, I've never met Jim before, and so when I was uh, uh, looking for some podcast guests, I, I sent Jim an email, and Jim responded something like, uh, "Well, let me listen to you guys first. Make sure you're not a bunch of nuts." And uh, <laughs> actually, he didn't say that. Uh, but the funny part about it was he actually did listen to some of our podcasts and came back and said, oh, you guys are really good. And, but usually when somebody says, I want to listen to your podcast first, I think, oh, no. <laughs> They'll find out how bad we are. Uh, but anyhow, so so he listened to podcasts and, and actually still agreed to do this. So uh, I did. <laughs> appreciate it, Jim. All right, Jim. Uh, so we have lots of different people listening here, all sorts of different backgrounds. Uh, we mentioned church stuff. So we're going to probably approach this since Steve and I really don't know much about digital mixers or analog. So what is the topic? Oh yeah. What is the topic? That might be good to get into. So we're going to talk about things to think about when moving from analog to digital mixing or digital mixers. At least that's kind of the ballpark where we're going here on this. So as, as a, if I'm a, 
you know, maybe I'm a volunteer and, and I have no really good experience in, I remember many, many years ago, uh, I went to this new church and it was liked it there and was going there for a while. And they found out I was in broadcasting and they said, Oh, you're in radio. Would you mix sound for us? And, and I thought, <laughs> well, it's a little bit more into mixing sound and having, <laughs> doing radio. Uh, so I, I really don't, and I still don't know much about it. So, so yes. Jim, uh, I'm a volunteer. I'm helping my church out or maybe even I'm paid staff. Okay. And I'm, I'm helping in the area of mixing and digital. Uh, where do I start? You know, I've heard digital mixers are the way to go. So is that true? Is it not true? Uh, help me out here as we begin. You know, it's, um, it's certainly not a one size, you know, fits all kind of an answer. Um, digital mixers have a lot of advantages. They also introduce some challenges that, churches might, might not be thinking about up front. Um, when you're dealing with analog mixers, which is what, you know, has been the norm, you know, until the last, you know, five, 10 years or so when the digital mixers really first started coming into the mainstream, you know, analog mixers are very straightforward. Um, it's a little bit, maybe, uh, maybe a good analogy is just, you know, getting into your car, you know, it's like, there's one control for everything pretty much. You know, your your stick shift or your gear shift isn't also going to control your windshield wipers, you know, things like that. You know, everything kind of does one thing for the most part. When you start moving into digital mixers, um, one control can manipulate lots of different things. And so th there's, you know, a level of getting used to what do all these controls do? What can they do? And there's a level of having to be aware of what kind of mode you're currently in to make sure that when you touch a particular control, it's actually going to do what you think it's going to do. Um, and that just increases kind of the whole level of complexity. I mean, one of the nice things about digital mixers is that it's basically just a computer with semi-familiar knobs and controls on the surface, but it really is just a computer. So anything that you can imagine and you can program, someone can have a digital mixer, you know, do that without adding to the hardware costs. Um, so one of the nice things you get with a digital mixer is you get a lot more processing per channel. There's a lot more things you can do on every channel that formerly would have required a massive amount of external you know, gear in the audio world. For example, um, compressors are a common thing that you use in audio. What a compressor does is it, it kind of evens out your levels if you have a, a pastor out there that sometimes gets really quiet and soft, and then some, suddenly they're <laughs> extremely loud, you know, and you're blowing people out of the room. You know, instead of having to have your audio guy sit there and ride the fader, uh, to like turn him up when he gets soft, turn him down when he gets too loud, you can put a compressor on his channel and that reduces how loud he actually gets when he does get loud. Um, formally you, that would be a piece of equipment you would buy and you would connect to that channel in the analog world. If you had a 32 channel board and you wanted 32 compressors, you had to go out and buy 32 com compressors mount them in a rack next to your mixer, get it all wired up, and you probably spend, you know, a significant amount of money per channel. Mm. Right. In the digital world, because it's all done in software, 
I'm not sure there is a digital mixer out there that doesn't have a compressor available on every single channel. And that costs them nothing with respect to additional hardware. Right. You know, same things with, you know, bands, you know, EQ for each channel. Um, less expensive analog boards would have a fairly simple EQ available. Um, in the digital world, most channels have a what they call a fully parametric four band EQ, which is a fairly sophisticated EQ system. Um, and you kind of get that for free because it's all software. It, it, you know, once they program it, there's no additional hardware cost, you know, for, for the board. So, so the lot, there's a lot of cool things you get there. Um, one of the downsides of that is now your inexperienced audio volunteers or staff for that matter, uh, depending on, you know, who is actually in charge of that. Um, they have these tools available to them, but do they actually know how to use them properly? Yeah, I can see uh, that. I remember, so, um, sorry to interrupt here, but um, we used to be, my church used to be a portable church. And mm -hmm. this is bringing back thoughts. And we used to run the snake from the stage back to the soundboard every week. Mm -hmm. And it was this, you know, ginormous snake with all these, uh, you know, different connections. I assume we were running an analog setup back then. I would, I would assume if I'm in a portable situation now that that I can run communications from the from the stage back to my mixer board. If I'm running digital, what do I run a single Ethernet cable or how does it? Is I assume that's the differences. What are the differences? You'd still need a snake, wouldn't you, Jim, or not? Well, you may need a snake, you would but still, you wouldn't need. Yes, you would not still need quite some snake. Yeah, it it and depending on the mixer you buy and and how you configure it, it may still be an analog snake that you run back there, which are these I mean, you have a separate wire for every channel. Right. So, you know, if you need thirty-two channels, there's essentially thirty-two pairs of wires in this big snake coming back, and it's a lot of weight to haul around. Um, it's a bigger tripping hazard. However, it's possible for for you to actually put the input channels or that where you actually connect your microphones and your instruments to put that part of the mixer up on stage. And then yes, you are simply running either an ethernet or a fiber optic cable back to the front of house position, which is thin and lightweight, a lot easier to roll out, a lot easier to tape down, less of a tripping hazard for people. So, you know, that is certainly an advantage is actually the wiring can be a lot simpler. Hmm. So, uh, so there's obviously a learning curve, uh, as mm -hmm. you just mentioned, it, and there's quite a bit of a learning curve for somebody going from analog to digital. So they're going to need to know what they're doing. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the challenges. I mean, there is, um, you know, in addition to just some of the things I already described, uh, a lot of the functions you get to in a digital digital board are through like a touchscreen with essentially menus of some sort. So to get to maybe some of the more obscure settings, you need to go through a few different pages of menu settings um, to be able to find it. Uh, one of the consoles that I've used recently um, there was one or two functions that we didn't have to get to a lot, but I could never find it. I <laughs> always had to pull out the manual and look it up and figure out, oh, that's right. You go to this screen and you press this button and then you hold the shift down and then those settings show up. 
And I mean, literally, I could never, ever remember how to get to them. Fortunately, it wasn't something you tended to need to get at during a service. Uh, but it was still kind of annoying. So you have that kind of complexity. And then you have the complexity of things like your, your controls are layered. Um, so, for example, you may have a 32-channel console, but only have 16 faders on the console. Mm -hmm. So what they do is they create what's called layers such that, for example, layer one, your 16 input faders are channels one through 16. You press a button to activate layer two and your those input, those channel faders are now channels 17 through 32. Mm. You mm. want to set your aux sends, you know, what typically go to say your monitor speakers up front, you press another button and now those faders control what's going to aux send one. And then another button for aux send two and another button for aux send three and another button to have those faders be your master controls for like effects returns and things like that. So, you and know, I would assume that a lot of times that these rather than physical buttons are going to be just software buttons in the interface, right? Uh, a lot of times they are physical buttons to get to the different layers. Oh, okay. Uh, so that, that helps a little bit, but there's been a few times where, you know, during, you know, rehearsal or even during the service, I'm getting an indication from someone on stage that they need something changed to their monitor mix. So I go to that aux end, I affect, you know, I, I make the change they're looking for. I'm watching them for some feedback and eventually they acknowledge that, okay, I did what they wanted me to do. And then I forget to press the button to go back to the main mix. So I'm listening to the song and I'm thinking, wow, you know what? I just can't hear the electric guitar. So I start pushing the fader up for the electric guitar and I'm not hearing any change and I'm pushing it more and I'm pushing it more. And eventually I notice the vocalist whose mix I was adjusting last <laughs> is giving me a really, really dirty look. <laughs> and I realize I'm still mixing their, their monitor mix and didn't know it. You know, and right. now they can't hear themselves because there's this electric guitar blaring in their ears, you know, and so it's it's easy to kind of get lost like that and to not get the results you want. Yeah, you definitely. So that yeah. so that's something that takes some experience. Um, I assume so, that's a, a common need, though. We need somebody needs to figure out a way for the performers to be able to communicate to the sound guy without anyone else knowing what's going on. <laughs> I, I think they're still working on that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's every minute. Well, speaking of musicians and Steve's son is a musician and, uh, I, I know a lot of musicians and, and, you know, obviously you do too. Uh, I have found, or I've heard that musicians tend to perform analog over digital. Would you, would you agree with that from your experience? You know, I can't say I've heard any specifically, you know, talk about that. Um, I mean, certainly people would have different, you know, likes or dislikes. Um, I think you get, I think analog consoles tend to color the sound maybe a little bit more than digital. And a lot of times color in a way that's artistically pleasant. So if you have a musician that's used to that, um, I could see them, you know, expressing that just like with a musician, you know, it's like front of house guys love to get rid of amplifiers on stage. 
Mm-hmm. You know, guitar yes. players would rather die than have you take their amplifier away from them because they feel that's part of their sound. Yeah, I've had right. some bloody, and it probably is part of their sound. I've had you know, bloody fights with guitar people over that whole thing. Yeah, people yeah, have been so, injured and stuff. Yeah, so <laughs> basically any piece of electronics is going to affect the sound of something. Um, but, I mean, I, you know, I don't go to a lot of concerts, but I can't recall the last concert I've gone to where I've walked by the front of house position and seen an analog console. Hmm. You know, I think everyone touring would be pretty much digital at this point. If oh, anything, okay. just from the weight yeah. that is there you know, a, it would alleviate. Is there a cost advantage either way? Is analog cheaper than digital or what's the, is there any difference um, there? It, the answer to that would be a little bit. It depends. I think digital, um, for what you get for digital, digital is certainly a lot less expensive. Uh, if you look at an entry-level digital console and an entry-level analog console, the digital console will probably cost a little bit more. But if you then start adding in the cost of um, you know, the heavy-duty analog copper snake that you have to run you know, to get to the stage, which is going to be a lot more expensive than running a piece of Ethernet cable. Mm-hmm. Uh, the costs of outboard gear, like we were talking about compressors, you know, the cost of adding a compressor to every channel, which, I mean, most people wouldn't wouldn't go and do that, you know, but if you were going to equip an analog console with the same functionality you'd get in the same channel account in a digital console, you would spend way more Right. in analog just because of all that all that outboard gear that you would have to purchase mm-hmm. i've heard things about um, people using a hybrid kind of a setup uh can you speak to that a little bit is that something and again i'm i'm talking more along the lines here of, of church stuff uh you know i know when we're talking some of this stuff it's it can be studios and all those things but uh is a hybrid setup possible or is it or is that just a bad idea or is like why would i even ask that question <laughs> you, know, you know what i'm saying um by hybrid i assume you mean mixing you know analog yeah. with digital technology yeah, yeah. yes mm-hmm. yeah i mean you're no matter what system you're using you're going to be using both okay um because your guitar is analog you know, your microphone is analog. Okay. Yeah. You know, your piano is analog. So there's always going to be a microphone that is putting out, you know, an analog system at some point that will get converted to digital. So, um, where that happens and how much of your signal chain, you know, stays digital, um, you know, that can vary quite a bit. Um, I mean, you can, you can be plugging your analog inputs on stage directly into, you know, a digital, um, you know, a digital input system or input rack on stage, and then you run ethernet back to the console. So at that point, everything coming into the console is digital by the time it gets to the console. Mm -hmm. Uh, most systems and churches, you convert it back to analog, you know, you take the analog outputs of the console Mm -hmm. to send it to the amplifiers and then to the speakers. Okay. Right. Uh, there are, there are speakers out there that have digital inputs so that you come digital out of the console and, again, run Ethernet to your speakers, and it's within the speaker itself that it gets converted back to analog, amplified, and then you know, fed to the, the actual drivers in the speaker. So you know, every, every system is going to be a hybrid. The question is, you know, 
where's the line on the inputs, where's the line on the outputs. Right. Yeah. Good point. Okay. Um, mm. Do you have a question? I was just, uh, I'm just, I'm putting my place, myself in the place of someone that's got an analog system now and they're, they're looking to go to digital. Um, I would assume that, um, I'm not sure if, uh, if, if people overestimate and buy too much of a digital system, how do I size my system I'm going to go to? Um, you know, is there any advice there? Do I want something that I'm going to be able to grow into over the next several years? Or does just the number of channels drive this? Or what, what are some of the factors that would influence my decision? Or right. What are the common mistakes that, that people make? Um, I would say probably the more common mistake, especially for a smaller church, is to purchase exactly what they need for that moment. Um, I'm thinking a little bit, this is, this would be a lighting example as opposed to an audio example, but the first church we attended here when we moved to the North, moved into North Carolina, um, their lighting system was maxed out the day the building opened. You know, they bought exactly the number of dimmers they needed for what they were going to do on opening day. The control uh, console they had for their lighting system could control exactly that number of consoles. And at one point when we were talking about upgrading, there was even a question of whether the power coming into the building mm -hmm. would support mm -hmm. a significant increase, you know, in theatrical dimmers, you know, for for the building. So I mean, that's certainly a danger. If you if you buy a system that's maxed out for what you're currently doing, I mean, you have no wiggle room. Is and there unless, uh, is there an upgrade path or do I have to kind of start over? Well, that unit, that six channel unit's not going to work. I need to go to the whatever, you know, is that or, or is there a way um, to oh, I'll just buy another one and add more light switching? <laughs> Yeah, usually, like in the case of audio mixers, I mean, you could like add a second mixer. Some are designed such that you can interconnect two mixers and they talk to each other and they operate mostly as one mixer. Um, I'm not sure how many are designed that way. Okay. Those are probably simpler systems, you know, or smaller systems that are that maybe have that capability. Um, not real familiar with how many can do that. Uh, it's I think it's a good idea if you can afford it to try to buy a system that one has a good reputation. So you know don't buy the cheapest thing out there because in all things tech you generally get what you pay for. Um, and two, not to buy something that's going to limit you. You know, like right now if you currently use you know, like 12 or 13 channels, I wouldn't suggest that you buy a system that's that will let you do 16. Right. You, you know, because unless, unless you're, unless the, the, the future path of your church is to die and go <laughs> away, you know, <laughs> which is not what most churches are hoping for. I mean, one would hope that your church is going to grow, that your needs are going to increase. You're going to have more opportunities to add more musicians to your band to make your music more interesting. So if you're already at 12 or 13 channels, um, you know, I would suggest you probably look at at least 24, if not 36 you know, channels, but really kind of think it through or 32 channels, not 36. Uh, so definitely to think that through, where do you hope to go with your music ministry? Um, 
if you're a very traditional church, do you have hopes of going contemporary? I would assume in the future. Special events would figure into this. My wife used to do the the Christmas deal, and I'm Mm -hmm. sure she would love to mic everybody that was performing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I assume that that kind of thing would figure in as well. Yeah, if you're if you do special events, and maybe you really only need ten channels on the weekend, but every Easter and Christmas you really step it up and have a lot more you know people involved. You know, one option is to try to get a an audio system that will handle that up front, um, and that way people you're using the same equipment that you use week in and week out. You could always look at renting something else. Um, or like adding a second mixer to submix part of it to feed into your your main mixer. But then twice a year, you're introducing something that you don't normally use. Right. And that all that opens up the potential for you know, more errors. Okay. You, you know, would... whenever you increase complexity and you're not used to using something, you know, the chance of something going wrong and being able to fix it quickly when it does go wrong you know, is, is a problem. All right. You had mentioned, um, reputation does, uh, service and support. Is that a consideration? I think that's a pretty big consideration. I mean, the, your audio mixer is a pretty important part of your service. Um, no, not to say other parts aren't, but clearly if people can't hear what's going on because your audio system has failed, you know, Believing is through hearing, right? Yeah, uh, so there are, um, not getting into brands, but I had a AV contractor tell me within the last year that they had stopped uh, suggesting churches look at a particular brand of inexpensive digital audio mixer because it was getting really hard to get them repaired. And many of the ones they were getting in had issues out of the box. And that the last time they called their supplier to send some back, the supplier would not take them back because they said that they had a whole warehouse of them awaiting repair. And the manufacturer wasn't getting to them because they're having so many failures. Yikes. So, yeah. You know, that clearly doesn't help anybody. So, you know, going cheap is never a good idea. Um, You know, going with a brand that has a very good reputation. And um, I mean, your best source of that is some of the online forums where you can send a question out to church, other church people directly and get their Mm -hmm. feedback. Um, Certainly, you know, magazines are a good source of, you know, information as well. However, you always have to remember that, you know, in most magazines like the ones that cover the audio industry and in houses of worship, you know, they're they're being paid by the manufacturers. So it doesn't mean to say that they're in their pocket or they're presenting wrong information, but they're certainly going to be cautious on what they say. Because you know, the bill is being paid by those companies' marketing dollars. So it's, you know, it's something to be aware of. I certainly wouldn't write for magazines if I felt that they were misrepresenting things. But it's always a good idea to know that, you know, um, a um, a publisher's customer is not the reader. It's the advertiser. That's a good point. So, Jim, how can people get a hold of you? We're out of time here. Uh, mm-hmm. how, how, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? 
Um, generally through email. My email address is james at spreadingflamesmedia.com. Okay. Um, you know, that's what I pay the most attention to. So, and I'm happy to try to answer emails, you know, when I do get them, um, depending on my workload at the time, sometimes it's not always right away, but I always try to get back to them when I do get, get a question from someone. Good. And people can Google, uh, spreading flames media, right. And it'll, your, yes. your website will pop up now. So you're in North Carolina, as we said earlier, I mean, do, do you, do you work with uh, churches and organizations, uh, like in Arizona, <laughs> like where we're at? Um, you know, I mean, most of my work is corporate work. Um, most of my church work is more along the lines of, you know, writing for the magazines. I do a little bit of consulting work occasionally. I think it's good that, um, however, that churches try to find someone local. Right. Um, cause I mean, one of the things that, you know, churches don't tend to have a, a deep bench with, you know, technical staff. Right. You know, a lot of churches, media, even medium-sized churches, don't have anyone on staff that's technical. So you really want to have a relationship with a local organization that, I mean, if you walk in, you know, Saturday for a rehearsal for Sunday and you hit the switch and it isn't working, you know, you don't want to call someone 2,500 miles away. Yeah. You know, you want to call someone who can show up in an hour. Right. <laughs> Ideally. So uh, not to say that working with someone remotely is a bad idea, but, you know, if okay. you, there are people local that you can work with, I think that's always a good idea. But I do do I, uh, I have there's a local AV company that I do a lot of their lighting training. Um, I do a lot with Jans Vista. So when they have a Jans Vista customer, I often go out and do the training with the church. Yeah. yeah. And as we said earlier, you, you do more than just audio. You're doing lighting, audio and uh and, yeah, video production. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. cool. All right, good. Well, we're out of time. So we've been talking with Jim uh, Komorik, and he is with Spreading Flames Media. And, and Jim, again, thank you so much for your time. We, we learned a lot today, and we really appreciate uh, you spending a little bit of time with us on this podcast. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. It's been fun talking with you. All right, it's been fun talking to you too. All right, so we're out of time. So the guy across the table here is Steve Lacey. I'm Phil Thompson. And if you have some feedback, thoughts, need some more information, just send us an email, support at streamingchurch.tv. We'll be happy to help you. And until next time, uh, this has been the Church Solutions Podcast. Have yourself a great day.